Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. And guys, I have a juicy episode for you all today. Today we're going to be telling the story of a Hollywood love affair kept secret for nearly three decades. So before I get into that though, I do just want to unwind with you guys, talk about my weekend. I went home again to Maryland for the weekend, got out of the city and did a lot of deep thinking about myself and my goals. Um, I've also been doing a week of training now with my personal trainer, so I have some thoughts on that I want to share. And overall, just some good old apartment updates. So that is where we're going with today's episode. Buckle up, get yourself a cup of tea or something. It's going to be a fun one. So I was home this past weekend. I went home for the Easter holiday. And I got to say, it felt so great being back because... I do feel so much more at ease now. I feel like I've made a great decision for myself coming back to the city and I was just really happy walking through the door of my childhood home and thinking to myself, okay, you know, I feel comfortable and happy here, but I have another place that is all mine and I'm so just thrilled about it. It's the most amazing feeling when you go home and you feel like you have left behind something you know, for the time being of being home or being elsewhere. It's, you know, something so special to you has been left behind. Like you have something to go back to that just makes you feel something, makes you feel happy, makes you feel driven, inspired, all those things. It's a really, really great feeling. And truthfully, when I had my apartment in LA, even before that, when I was just really in the weird spot of what do I do next? Like after I ended my lease in my previous New York apartment when we were on the road trip and everything, I just felt very unstable in the sense of I didn't have a home base that I was really, really attached to and felt inspired by. So it was really cool being home this past weekend and just even sitting in my childhood bedroom in the room that I'm in, you know, a handful of days out of the year because I go home for the holidays, I go home for, I mean, last year was definitely an exception. I was home a ton because of COVID, because of being in a tough spot with just decision making and not knowing what I wanted to do, but sitting in my bed this past weekend and just thinking to myself, wow, I miss New York. (laughs) I have a place there. I have not only a physical place, like an apartment there, but I also feel like I have a purpose there. I feel like I am a puzzle piece in the greater scheme of New York City and I belong there. And it just felt really, really great. And I hope that each and every one of you guys out there will have this feeling one day where you just, it just feels right. Okay. It just feels right. Because it's one of those things where when, I mean, this is a weird analogy, but you know, when you have like a cough or you feel kind of sick, not COVID, but just like normal sicknesses, there are other illnesses that occur. And 
or you just can't breathe out of your nose or something and you think like, oh, all those times, all those days of my life when I could breathe out of my nose and I didn't have a cough, I was taking that time for granted. Like I should have been appreciative that I don't feel sick in these moments like of my normal life and there's like a week out of the year that I feel miserable because I have like strep throat or something and it's one of those things where when you, when you're in it and you're, you're living life and you're feeling great and don't have a cough and you're feeling driven by your life you should stop and think about how great it is to be feeling like that because there's going to be a time eventually where you don't feel like that and you feel a little bit sick and you feel a little bit unsure and unsteady and it's so obvious in those moments that things aren't right so when they are right you should take a moment to stop and be like wow I'm really appreciative that I feel like this I'm very grateful I'm happy um, and those things. So I felt that kind of moment of gratitude when I was home this past weekend and it was really, really sweet. And I did a lot of things when I was home, but I mean, maybe not a lot of things. I ate a lot of things. I consumed a lot of things. And for the first time in a very long time, I didn't get on the train to leave my hometown, to leave the holiday behind feeling guilty about all the food that I had eaten and about how unhealthy I was because I, this is like the first time in a very long time I felt like this because I, I finally have a regimen, a weekly workout regimen. I have my trainer. I have a meal plan that I'm working on. And I feel like I can have those cheat days and not feel insanely guilty. And I've, I felt guilt so many holidays, like post-holidays, like the post-holiday guilt of eating so much. And so it's nice to sit back and be like, wow, I don't feel that because I finally have a routine that I'm excited about that I feel like is going to work for me. And so I can have those moments and know that it's going to be okay, that I'm still going to achieve my goals, which I talked about on a previous episode, but my fitness goals, so to speak, I'm really looking just to become stronger, to feel more capable, to feel a bit tighter because I do feel like I have packed on a little bit of just, you know, a little, little bit of something, which isn't a bad thing. I like to call it my, my fun weight. Like I have the extra 10 pounds or whatever that maybe I shouldn't have or my BMI or I don't even care about that stuff. But I have a little extra fun weight because it's it's my fun times. It's my drinking out with my friends and it's my eating pizza at two in the morning and that stuff. And I don't intend on stopping any of those activities, but I do want to take care of myself because my mantra, guys, if you're not going to do it, who's going to? If you're not going to look out for yourself and make sure that you're fit and that you are capable of walking upstairs and carrying heavy grocery bags from Whole Foods, like who's going to do it? I, I like being capable on my own and not having to rely on someone else to help me with things constantly. Like, of course, I do get help when I need it with carrying heavy things. I'm not going to like throw out my back, but I want to feel more capable. And so I'm working with my trainer, Jane, three times weekly, every morning. Um, well, every, every morning for three days weekly. And the other two days I just get out and walk or do some sort of light cardio. So I'm moving my body five days a week, I guess seven, if you consider going out on the weekends and <laughs> walking around New York City, getting pizza at 2 a.m. That does count as cardio, right? Like walking to get pizza counts as cardio. Anyway, so I'm getting myself moving. I'm drinking a ton of water. I am eating better. I have a friend who is a registered dietitian or she's studying to be one. She's going to be one eventually. So she's definitely not <laughs> professional yet, but she is like in the right mindset. She's taking the classes. So if anything, she's, you know, she's right there in it. Um, and she is helping me out with some suggested 
lunch dinner meals, which I will definitely share with you guys once I get to the point where I'm confident with them because I, you guys know this from my various HelloFresh mentions because I do love HelloFresh. I really need to be told what to do, like what to make and how to do it and how long to simmer something or cut something in this way. Like I need very broken down instructions because otherwise I get really paranoid that I'm going to do something wrong, especially when it comes to like chicken or something that I could I could mess up and make myself sick. So I'm trying to branch out into realms I'm not used to eating foods that, because sometimes I think I'm being healthy and then I realize that the salads I'm consuming have more sugar than my cookie dough that I like eating. So, you know, I really need to be told what to do in in that regard. And so I'm going to do that. And overall, I'm just going to focus on becoming stronger, becoming just the person that I know that I am deep down. I feel like there's this tendency to think you don't deserve to feel a certain way or look a certain way. Like you don't deserve it because like, oh, there are those people out there that manifest things and that are capable and strong and fit and all the things. And that is their like mindset and mantra and the whole thing. And I just don't know if I'm cut out for her, <laughs> that sort of thing. And so I don't even want to try because what if I fail? What if I set these expectations for myself and I let myself down. Like sometimes when I start imagining what my life could be, if I just maybe put in a little bit of extra effort, like a little bit of time bracketed in my day just for exercise or for eating better or something. Like I just need to put a little extra time in my day to do that. But when I consider it, I sit there and I'm like, well, maybe that isn't for me. Like maybe that's not who I'm supposed to be. Like, And it's it's not always laziness that's talking. A lot of the time it's just me having a poor self-image and thinking that I don't deserve to live the life that I know I can have. One being where I feel very fit and I feel happy to put on jeans because I feel like they fit in the way that I want them to. And that doesn't mean I'm going to change myself like in every possible way. I do want to keep the integrity of who I am. I want to stay close to who I really am and not lose that. But I think who I really am is someone that is a bit more fit and does have the ability to carry heavy things and be capable and walk upstairs without panting at the top. And I want to feel strong. I want to feel capable. And so those are my goals with my trainer, Jane. Um, I'll definitely post more updates of the the training process. It's going to be for the next probably six-ish weeks, I guess five now because we've done a week. So about five weeks, my plan is to... It's, it's hot girl spring, guys. So my plan is to you know, have this six-week program and see what happens in terms of how I feel. And so I'll definitely give you updates as I go, but that's the deal so far. And honestly, it was just kind of crazy coming back from this holiday weekend where I did have a couple of cheat days and I ate some really great key lime pie and quiche and things and did not feel guilty afterwards because I know that I'm on the right path. And it's one that's sustainable because it's not just rooted in weight loss. Like I don't even have a scale. It's not rooted in something that is just unachievable, unattainable. I want to feel stronger. And so even just lifting a weight more than I, I've just never like lifted weights. So even just starting to do that is more than I would have had if I didn't do it. You know what I mean? And it's also something where I feel very motivated 
because I know that there's no high stakes. Like I'm not going to set myself up for failure by being like in the beginning of the whole thing, being like, Katie, you're going to lose 20 pounds. Like this is the goal. Like I'm not pointing myself towards goals like that. My goals are to feel stronger, feel closer to my authentic self, the person that I know that I can be, which is someone that feels super capable, that feels strong and inspired and motivated and that endorphin rush, you know, constantly. And I want that. So anyway, that is, that's what's happening with that. I don't want to, you know, linger on this topic for too long, but I am feeling really inspired by my current health kick that I'm on. I don't even want to call it a health kick, my, my current mindset shift. And so I definitely wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, so that's one thing that's really exciting me right now. Also, apartment, obviously, I'm feeling very inspired by this new project. I love a project. I love working on something new. And the apartment has been that for me. And I'm trying to do something a little different this time around. You guys are going to be shocked by this. If you guys have followed my previous apartment decorating journeys, I'm really going to try to incorporate some surprising color into this space because it's very monochrome right now. It's very like black, white, cream, things like that. And I've only done, you know, the exact same thing. I just got like a white couch, a white rug, a white, white comforter, black mirror. Like I've really stuck with the scheme, but I want to kind of break away from that and get some colorful stuff in here. So definitely tasteful color because I'm not going to go haywire in here. I'm definitely going to stick to my authentic go of things but I do like color in my wardrobe in how I style things for social media for design so why am I so uncomfortable with color in my space I don't know I don't know so I'm going to try to incorporate some more yesterday I was actually in home goods my favorite store with my mom in Maryland because Maryland home goods is superior to any other home goods I've ever visited in my entire life seriously. And so I picked up a few different colored pillows, some like mossy greens and a like washed looking blue color. And we're going to mix that with, I have a red-ish rug coming, beige and red. It's like a neutral, I don't want to scare you guys with this like red, green, blue, but it's all muted all the colors are muted, so they're they're easy to pair with other things, and I'm going to be able to pull out the colors into wall art and things like that. So it's really going to come together. I'm very, very excited for this little change of pace for me. I feel like I'm really just like in the right direction right now. I feel like I'm moving t- into a place where I feel like I'm growing and I'm not taking a big step backwards every day which is really, just really a nice feeling, guys. So that is the life update. I guess that's honestly everything. Oh, I also got a vaccine appointment today, which is very exciting. We're finally eligible if you're 16 plus in New York City. So I'm getting my vaccine, my first dose this Sunday. I'm going over to Brooklyn. I don't go over there often. I, I really do love Brooklyn. I just never have a reason to go there. I need to like make myself have a reason. There's a lot of great thrifting, like vintage places over there. So I need to get over there more. But I am going there this Sunday. (laughs) It's only an eight-minute train, I'm pretty sure, like super close, like closer than a lot of other places I could possibly go in Manhattan. So I'm really feeling thankful. I called the vaccine hotline, the New York City vaccine hotline. Like all my friends, a lot of them have already been vaccinated because they are – they have um, a condition. They have like either – asthma or a different sort of condition. Lyme disease wasn't on the list of uh, pre-existing things that qualified, which I kind of understand. I feel like, although I do have some thoughts on this, I do think that Lyme disease is very misunderstood and people don't know that it can be something that is chronic and that can affect you for life and could 
weaken your immune system for life. But, you know, I digress. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to get it this Sunday. I'm going to get on the vaccine train. I am so, so excited for a New York City that is fully vaccinated. We are so close. So that is another exciting thing. And yeah, that is my life update, guys. I am really excited to launch into our story, though, for today's episode. You guys are going to love it. I did tease on social media that I'm going to be talking about Katherine Hepburn this week, and all of you guys were so excited. Katherine Hepburn is someone that I have admired for a very long time. And while I did think that I knew her life, I really didn't know this big, huge piece of her life, which was a love affair that literally took up three decades of her life. Like just about three decades of her life was spent pining over this man, uh, one of her co-stars. And the story is really interesting. It really is quite sad as well. And so at the end, we'll have a nice little reflection period where we can talk about it because honestly, her relationship with this man is very relatable. A lot of us can relate to the feeling of pining over someone and feeling like despite your best efforts, despite how much you clearly like this other person and care for this other person, they're still going to let their selfish, just whatever, their own stuff get in the way of what could be with you despite you doing your absolute best. Sometimes you can do all you can and still come up empty and feel like your feelings have not been reciprocated and you don't feel that at ease in love feeling. It almost feels like you're not getting what you signed up for, you know, despite how much you want it. Like it doesn't matter sometimes how much you want it if the other person isn't going to meet you halfway and deliver their end of the bargain, you know? The door goes both ways or swings both ways. That's the phrase that people say. Anyway. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. So today we're going to talk about Katherine Hepburn. We're going to talk about her early life as well and a bit of her achievements because she was an incredible woman and, and her, you know, falling into this love affair should not discount the person that she was because she was something. And I want to talk about her story. But then we're going to talk about the love affair, the, the worst kept Hollywood secret, apparently. And that's what they called it because apparently everyone in Hollywood knew about it, but... The man's wife did not know, the public did not know, 
because the network really tried to downplay it as it would destroy their careers or their their movies and the success of their movies, things like that. But there was always speculation. So we're going to talk about the story behind that and Katherine Hepburn. And then we're going to wrap everything up at the end and talk about our thoughts on the whole matter because I have a lot of thoughts. So let's dive on into it. Katherine Houghton Hepburn was born in Connecticut in 1907 to a doctor father and a feminist mother. And she was one of six children. She was second of six. And her family was a little bit different. The kids were raised a bit differently than kids of their time. Keep in mind, this was the early 1900s. And yet their parents still encouraged freedom of speech and debate, like free debate, not just from the boys, but the girls as well. So Catherine, from a young age, was encouraged to speak her mind, to have opinions, and that wasn't really a thing for young girls. Young girls were meant to be seen, not heard, so this was different for sure. And the Hepburn's neighbors thought that this family was insane for having views like this because it was very progressive for the time. As a young girl, Catherine even joined her mother on several Votes for Women demonstrations. So the Hepburns were an outspoken, super opinionated bunch. And this would set up Catherine as a woman who wouldn't care what other people thought of her. So the rest of our story really makes sense just with how she was raised. She was always raised to be this woman that did not take no for an answer, that really spoke her mind. And when she was young, Catherine insisted on cutting her hair short and calling herself Jimmy. She ran, swam, bicycled, played tennis, and golf, and she loved going to the movies and putting on performances for her family and friends. But when she turned 13, tragedy struck in the Hepburn family. Trigger warning, suicide. In March of 1921, Catherine and her 15-year-old brother Tom were visiting New York. They were staying with a friend of their mother's in Greenwich Village over the Easter holiday, And while they were on the trip, Catherine walked into Tom's room, her brother's room, to discover him hanging from a beam, a makeshift noose crafted from a curtain. And so 13-year-old Catherine, who prior to this had enjoyed such a blissful childhood, had swam, played tennis, and interacted with other kids with no cares in the world, this girl's life would never be the same after finding her brother Tom. But as her family was a typical upper-class family, They denied that it was suicide. They really did not think it was a suicide. They insisted that it was a magic trick gone wrong, that Tom really didn't want to end his life, that it just was a mistake. And they urged her to get over it and move on. But Catherine had a hard time returning to her normal life, to her regular everyday life as a 13-year-old. This event shook her to her core, understandably. And for many years, Catherine even used Tom's birthday, November 8th, as her own. It wasn't until her autobiography, Me, Stories of My Life, published in 91, that she revealed her true birth date, which was May 12th, 1907. After private tutoring through her younger years, she finally gave in to her mother's pleas when it came to going off to college. She attended Bryn Mawr College, which was where her mother had gone, and while she was there, she got involved with her college's theater program while also getting into all kinds of trouble. She once got suspended for smoking in her room, and it was during her time at Bryn Mawr that she met this man named Ludlow Odgen Smith whom she nicknamed Luddy, and he was a socialite businessman from Philadelphia. They got married on December 12, 1928, when Catherine was just 21 and he was 29. 
a very telling story from their marriage. This literally tells you all you need to know about them. Catherine forced Luddy to change his name to S. Odgen Ludlow, so reversing his given name entirely so she wouldn't have to have too plain of a name. She thought that Kate Smith sounded too plain for her, so she insisted that Luddy change his name, and he did. He changed it for her to S. Odgen Ludlow. And they were on rocky terms for years, and in 1934, she actually traveled all the way to Mexico to get a quickie divorce. Catherine often expressed her gratitude to Luddy for his financial and moral support in her early days, though later in her life. She actually, in her autobiography, she called herself a terrible pig for how she toyed with his emotions and basically took advantage of him. So she did feel horribly about it, but... Nonetheless, she did kind of, you know, skirt through that one and say, I am choosing my career over you. And they actually did remain friends, though, until Luddy's death in 1979. Aside from that failed marriage, though, her career kind of started out the same as many. Straight out of college, she took on small acting roles on Broadway, etc., wherever she could find. And interestingly enough, directors and critics of the time found her odd-looking and shrill voice so concerning that she was actually fired from multiple productions early on. However, though, she kept forging on. She wasn't at all conventional for the time. She was outspoken, opinionated, athletic. She even wore trousers before they were fashionable. She very hardly ever wore dresses unless she was cast in them or things like that. She preferred trousers before they were fashionable. And a lot of people chose to hate her because of these things, because she was different without even knowing her. Tabloids and reporters called her Kate the Great Bitch, as she could be very blunt with her co-stars, with reporters, things like that. And Cary Grant, one of her co-stars, actually once went out of his way to tell reporters, I wish you'd publicize what a sweet person Katherine Hepburn is. People who don't know her have got her all wrong. Catherine had a few famous lovers, one of whom was named Howard Hughes, and he was a well-known celebrity billionaire of the time. She wrote him love letters, which actually sold at auction for over $40,000 recently. Imagine your love letters that you write someone someday selling for $40,000, like just letters on paper. I'm pretty sure there's only about 50 of them in the collection $40,000. And he proposed to her multiple times with the most beautiful emerald and diamond engagement ring, but she always declined. She didn't need a man to make her happy. She had her career, after all, which was always the most important thing to her throughout her whole life. And it was said that in the 30s, Catherine actually mailed herself two fudge Valentine's hearts for Valentine's Day one year. She literally mailed herself two fudge hearts uh, because she didn't need a man. Just four years after her divorce from Luddy, Catherine found herself in a tough spot. Six of the movies that she'd been recently cast in totally flopped, and she was being referred to as box office poison in Hollywood, and people were reluctant to cast her. But her career was far from finished. She had won an Academy Award for Best Actress back in 1931, the same year her divorce was being finalized, actually, and another sizable nomination in 1936. But by 38, things weren't looking great. That was until the Philadelphia story, which really jump-started her career again. And honestly, this is my favorite movie that Katherine Hepburn is in. It's how I kind of discovered her. It's a really great film. If you have to watch one, I highly recommend it. I love the other two leading men in it as well, Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart. It's just overall a really great movie, so definitely put it in the queue for your next 
old Hollywood movie night. But Catherine's close friend was a playwright named Philip Barry, and he came to her with an idea for a play and a character that he knew that she would be perfect for. In the most classic of ways, I feel like this is how a lot of things come to be, Philip had met a woman at a waspy party with a lot of rich people that inspired him so much that he created an entire film based on her life. Like I feel like you hear a lot in Hollywood or with like songs and you know someone meets someone and then like writes a whole song about her. Like Harry Styles writing a whole song about a girl that he met once. Like it happens when you meet someone you're like this is a person I want to base an entire song or movie off of and this happened to Philip and you know I can always hold out hope that someday someone will be so inspired by me and write a song about me. But honestly, whenever I like run into people randomly, it's usually like I don't even want to know what I'm doing at 2 a.m. at a bar. So, you know, maybe not. But anyway, he met a woman that he was so inspired by that he quite literally based an entire character and play off of her and her life. And so the character Tracy Lord was based off of a Philadelphia socialite named Helen Hope Montgomery Scott, who was once labeled by Vanity Fair as, quote, the unofficial queen of Philadelphia's WASP oligarchy. And WASP standing for white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. You might have heard this before. But basically, Catherine would go on to play Tracy Lord, who was inspired by this woman, Helen, that Philip had met at a party. Are you following? (laughs) So Philip had basically become close friends with her through her husband, Edgar, who was the heir to the Philadelphia Railroad Fortune. And he, Edgar, was Philip's former classmate at Harvard. So connections are key, guys. So Helen Hope Montgomery Scott, she was a character. She was the classic high society woman, but add some spice. There were actually rumors that Helen had been proposed to four times in one night, the night that she made her entrance as debutante at the 1922 Philadelphia Assemblies Ball. She was proposed to four times in one night, imagine. She did so many scandalous things for the time as well. She danced the foxtrot with the Duke of Windsor at New York City's legendary El Morocco nightclub. She did the Charleston with Josephine Baker in Paris, and you guys know we did a whole podcast about Josephine. If you missed it, she was a French-American dancer, entertainer, spy, activist, so many things. First black woman to star in a major motion picture. Incredible woman. And Helen was right there alongside her doing the Charleston. So it was after meeting this woman, Helen, and knowing Catherine Hepburn, he really put two and two together and decided that Catherine would make an amazing Helen, aka Tracy Lord, which was the name that he gave to the character. And so with Catherine on stage glittering as Tracy Lord, the Philadelphia story quickly became a smash hit on Broadway, grossed more than $1 million in sales before making another 750000 This was for the time, so of course it's more now, when it toured nationally. And not only did Catherine star in the show, she also backed the play financially. She gave up her salary and took a cut of the profits instead because it was her friend and, you know, that was what she wanted to do to get it off the ground. But this would prove to be very beneficial for her because it resulted in the end with a deal with MGM, which ultimately resulted in a movie because, of course, she saw so much potential in the play, which did so well. And so she was like, let's make it into a movie. And the girl was smart. She actually worked with her lover, the one that I mentioned earlier, Howard Hughes, the guy that got her that giant engagement ring and she wrote the letters to. So he, being a rich guy, she actually worked with him to help her pay for the film rights. So he helped her buy the film rights 
to Philadelphia's story so that she could have the most possible creative control over the movie, which is a huge power move for the time. She struck a deal with MGM because, of course, she had the rights, which resulted in her having final say over the proposed producers, directors, co-stars, the whole shebang. So huge power move. This was 1940. Women were not enjoying the rights that we have today, certainly weren't throwing out savage moves like this. So honestly, really inspired by her. She was very strong-willed, very smart, and we applaud her for that. So Philadelphia Story came out in 1940 and the movie, and just two years later, Catherine would finally cross paths with a man that would change her life forever. It was on the set of Woman of the Year in 1942 that Catherine met Spencer Tracy. He was then 41 and married, and she was 34, seven years his junior. Their first exchange actually resembled the comedies that they would eventually star in together. For the time, it was very much like a a screwball comedy sort of style, lots of banter, lots of sound effects, you know, that was like a very, very signature style for the time in terms of movies and comedies. And so when they first met, she said, quote, Mr. Tracy, you're a little short for me. And he said, don't worry, I'll cut you down to size. Later on, Catherine would say that she knew right away that she, quote, found him irresistible. And the script of the first movie they were cast in together was kind of a recipe for romance. It was thick with banter and the sparks were flying on screen and off. On screen, this is a quote from Catherine. She said, on screen, Spencer and I are the perfect American couple, she said at one point in time, though it was definitely a totally different story off screen. Their relationship was honestly doomed from the start. He had that Hollywood look, an actor charm, but he was also an alcoholic. And Catherine, who, you know, as we discussed in the beginning, she was this independent, strong, and confident woman, but somehow with Spencer, her whole demeanor totally changed. She melted for him. She tended to his every need. She softened when he was ill-tempered. She was madly in love with the guy, would do anything for him. But Spencer, who was distant from his wife but not divorced, would never fully commit to Catherine. After even three decades together, he would never fully commit to her. He would always end up with his wife. He would always be doting on his kids and never fully commit to Catherine. He remained married to his wife, blaming it on the fact that he was Catholic and a father. But this did not stop their fatal attraction from brewing on set and off. Another Hollywood icon from the time that you might know, Gene Kelly, once said, quote, at lunchtime, they'd just meet and sit on a bench on the lot. They'd hold hands and talk, and everybody left them alone in their private little world. They lived together in a cottage actually owned by a director friend of theirs, but kept separate addresses on paper so the public, or Spencer's wife, wouldn't find out about the affair And when being interviewed by biographer Andrew Scott Berg, who we'll refer to as Berg from here on out, that's what she called him, Berg, if she would ever end the affair because of his alcoholism or because it was clear that Spencer would never leave his wife for her, she was asked, point blank, would you ever like have left him? Would you ever consider it? And she said, what would be the point? I mean, I loved him and I wanted to be with him. If I had left, we both would have been miserable. And honestly, I think Spencer did need her. Maybe not so much for her love, but at least for her care because he was an alcoholic. He was depressed. He was unstable. He would 
lash out and do crazy things and and he really did need her but he definitely took advantage of her one time she was actually trying to put him to bed and he smacked the back of his hand across her face likely accidentally but he literally hit her and she later said to that biographer berg that she said he was so drunk that she believed he neither knew what he had done nor that he'd remember. So he didn't know that he did it. He wouldn't remember that he did it. So why even talk about it with him? Like she was just so blinded by him that she disregarded her own morals. I mean, she was like this strong, crazy, independent person and she let her guard down. She melted for this man. Sometimes hotel staff would actually find her sleeping, curled up outside of Spencer's hotel room, like outside of his door, not in the room, but outside the door because he wouldn't see her, but she was afraid that he'd drink himself to death or have a health complication. So she literally slept outside of his door. This majorly famous woman at these five-star hotels would be curled up outside of a door, like laying on the ground. And according to Spencer's friend, Joan Fontaine, he said that he could, quote, get a divorce whenever he wanted to, but his wife and Kate like things just as they are. Oh, I don't know why that makes my blood boil, because I just, Kate, obviously, Kate, Catherine, same person, would obviously had preferred him leave his wife and choose her, but I think she just got kind of numb to the idea, kind of comfortable in an odd way with the idea that he never would do that. And so she was like, well, if I have to deal with this to be with him, I'll do it. When Spencer ultimately became really sick with heart disease in his last years, Catherine even moved in with him to care for him. She had him at her home part of the time. They were together and she was fully caring for him. She was putting off movie deals and not working to care for this man that wasn't even her husband. And in their last movie, which was called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, they starred alongside each other playing parents dealing with their child's interracial romance, which was a super radical concept at the time. I need to watch this one. I haven't seen it. But this was shot while Spencer was battling heart disease and the stress of his health, the stress of the movie really took a toll on both of them. I loved Spencer Tracy, Catherine wrote in her 1991 autobiography. I would have done anything for him. Spencer Tracy spent his final two years living a quiet life with Catherine, not the woman he was legally married to, I will say. Her name was Louise. She was not there. And Catherine, like I said, put her own career on hold. I just need to reiterate this. To care for a man that was still married to his ex-wife that didn't know she existed or pretended not to, whatever, my blood is boiling. So she took care of him until his dying day, which was exactly 17 days after filming his last scene of their last film together on June 10th, 1967. He'd woken up to get a cup of coffee or tea for himself. And this is what Catherine said. She said, just as I was about to give the door a push, there was a sound of a cup smashing to the floor, then clump, a loud clump. Though she could never bring herself to watch the final film that they were in together once it came out, as the memories were just too painful, Catherine went on to win her second Academy Award for the role that she played in the film. She said it felt like it was a tribute to them both. The morning that Spencer died, Catherine first called his brother, then called his wife Louise, and according to Berg, the biographer I mentioned earlier, she wanted to see if she could be of any help to Louise and Spencer's children. He had two kids. He had a son and a daughter. One of them was deaf and said to Louise over the phone that morning, she said, you know, Louise, you and I can be friends. You knew Spencer at the beginning. I knew him at the end. Or we can just go on pretending. 
And Louise's reply stung Catherine. She said, oh yes, but you see, I thought you were only a rumor. And later on, Catherine was talking about this remark to Berg, and she said, quote, a rumor? Can you imagine? 30 years her husband isn't there, and she thinks I'm a rumor. So obviously, some tension there, some savagery from Louise in that remark, but even still, even while this was happening, even while she was sad about the death, Catherine did not speak publicly about the affair until after Louise died in 1983. She had become very close with Spencer's daughter, Susie, by this time. She never had any children of her own, so she really took in Spencer's kids. And she finally began to open up about what she and Spencer had shared for almost three decades. But like, you know, staying true to her craft, she was a good actress throughout her tale. She kept so many details of the affair extremely vague. She said this, which very vague. She said, quote, we just passed 27 years together in what was to me absolute bliss. This is what she said of their relationship. We just loved each other. Nothing more to say. So very tight-lipped about it. I imagine I'm just kind of trying to you know, piece together what I think probably happened throughout their affair. Like, this is a three-decade-long affair. I'm sure there were, you know, secret late-night rendezvous, post-Academy Award hookups in bathrooms. And, you know, I just feel like it must have been dazzling and crazy and exciting, although annoying because, of course, he was a cheater. He had an affair. He had this wife and just wouldn't leave the wife. Like, I'm annoyed with him, obviously, but also I feel like it must have been so interesting like she is a very strong woman she would not have stayed with this man if she did not somehow feel that he was worth it I hope I hope I tell myself this we just loved each other nothing more to say those were her final words on the matter she did talk to various tv hosts about this and like she really did get grilled about the whole subject but she really was tight-lipped until she passed away like there are a lot of details we don't know and she ended up actually keeping that cup that had slipped from Spencer's hand that morning and cracked on the kitchen floor. She kept it until her death and she made her final screen appearance at the age of 87 and then passed away on June 29th, 2003 at 96 years old of old age. So that is the story that I intended to tell. Kind of a sad, forbidden, annoying love affair. But there have been rumors to emerge since Catherine's death and the release of her autobiography. This was back in like 2018, I think these started to surface, that Catherine maybe was, there's a little more to the affair. It wasn't so much romantic. It was more so both of them were in the closet. So Catherine was secretly a lesbian. Spencer was secretly bisexual. And they were together kind of to deflect from rumors of them being LGBTQ+. Like, Something like that. That's just all mere speculation, though. We can't be sure because they are not here to speak for themselves. But that would certainly paint a different sort of story, you know? It really would. But back to what Catherine has disclosed, what she has talked about in her autobiography and to TV hosts and things and to journalists, I I really do feel for Catherine Hepburn. I feel for the way that she speaks about this man who never left his wife, who... She just had this undying love for, was always there for, would drop her career for. She loved this man and, you know, she was turning down marriage proposals. She was being a total badass while she was doing it, but she had a total soft spot for this guy. It was her Achilles heel. 
so to speak, was it was this man named Spencer Tracy. And it's a, a classic story that we've all heard before, a mega strong, powerful, accomplished woman just melting for a man who will never match her effort. And all of her friends telling her, oh, you could do so much better than that. Like, come on, why do you keep going back to this person? Why do you keep crumbling for this person that will never value you in the way that you deserve? And and yet you still hold out hope for that. You still, like, I wonder if Catherine ever hoped that maybe, just maybe one day she'd wake up and Spencer would say, oh, I left my wife. I made it final. We're getting a divorce. Like, we're going to go public with our relationship and we, we can stop hiding. Like, they were hiding the majority of their lives, like 30, I guess not majority, but 30 years of their lives they were hiding. And so it's interesting. But I do feel that, I've said this before, we are how we are for a reason. And so perhaps the reason why Catherine was so attached to Spencer, this broken person, was because of her brother's death, because she couldn't help her brother when he passed away, when he was unhappy. And so she made it her her life's mission to help this man, Spencer, that she did care for so deeply romantically, supposedly, but also she just wanted to save him from himself. And so I do think it all goes back to how her childhood was and how she had to witness that crazy moment at 13. And I do also believe that Spencer did really love Catherine. He wrote her a telegram in the 50s while she was in Africa shooting a film and it said, Dear African Queen, the next voice you hear I hope will be my own. And it was super romantic. And you know, I don't know if we should give him this credit though. Like yes, he probably loved her, but he still just strung along this wife. Like who knows what he was saying to his wife this whole time and his kids, like his kids, come on. And he was just secretly with this woman, Catherine, who was incredible on screen and off and he would never go public with their relationship because he was a Catholic. I just find that hard to believe that that was the reason. Like I feel like he just didn't want to disappoint anyone. I feel like that's a constant, you know, or a a recurring thing of like the man not wanting to disappoint people, didn't want the stir of being a cheater or just something ending in his life. Like he wanted to just do it all, like have his cake and eat it too. And I don't know how I feel about that. I feel kind of sad for Catherine, but she overall accomplished so much in her life. She was a badass. She is just one of those household names that we still speak about. We still watch her movies. We still admire her for her energy and just who she was and what she was able to accomplish. So I don't think her legacy is in vain here because of this one, this thing that obviously kept her going. She she really did love him. So, but it does show us, you know, sometimes people will literally stick with a person for three decades, hoping kind of maybe secretly in the back of their mind that they'll change and they might never change. And what are you left with in the end? So anyway, that is the story of Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the pod. Hope it gave you some food for thought. If you guys want to do some more reading about them, check out the sources in the show notes and definitely watch the Philadelphia story. This is my end note to you. If you haven't seen it, watch it and love it and let me know what you guys think. All right. So I'll talk to you guys all next week. Bye. Bye.